there are a lot of people who could rightfully be called the founder of computer animation. You could make up a list of 10 people by the most knowledgeable people in the field, and there wouldn't be much overlap. But one name that would be guaranteed to be on every list is Ken Knowlton. Ken Knowlton passed away at the age of 91 this weekend, but he left behind a legacy that has led us to where we are today. This episode, we're talking about Ken Knowlton, Bell Labs, and B-Flex. This is Engineers and Enthusiasts. Ken Knowlton likely is the figure that will receive the most attention when going back over the early days of computer graphics. And for good reason. His work at Bell Labs in particular was massively important. And while we could go into everything from his work doing natural language translation in sentences using heuristic forms, which honestly is way beyond my mind, to his more widely known work in computer graphics, we're going to focus just on two in this episode. And in the next, it's going to be all about EAT, Experiments in Art and Technology. It'll make sense when you get there. Bell Labs, which you've talked about extensively, was the home of many geniuses. And I'll just focus on four of them. Claude Shannon and John Pierce, Max Matthews, and Ken Knowlton. And in the 1960s, these were four of the biggest names in technology. In much the same way, ten years later, the names Don Knuth, John McCarthy, Ed Feigenbaum, and Marvin Minsky represented the peak of their work, despite the fact they were across two different universities. But these four were all at Bell Labs, and that made Bell Labs a locus. Shannon and Pierce's work cutting across disciplines, two of the most amazing scientists of the 20th century, a figure known to few nowadays, but was incredibly important, Richard Hamming. And he did something very interesting. He told Knowlton, who was working in all sorts of different sections, he told Knowlton, slow down. If everyone here made more than one contribution to the Bell system in his lifetime, the system would be in chaos. That is huge. He was looking at the possibility of parsing computer languages, for example, and using them to create images. And in the early 1960s, he developed B-Flex, which is a sort of a shortening of Bell-Flex. And it was the first computer language designed specifically for bitmap movie making. Now, there had already been some works in computer animation, in particular uh, using things like vector images. That was what Ed Zajac had done with his uh, demonstration of it looks like a... Uh, Domino that keeps one face pointing towards the globe at all times. Really innovative. Mike Knoll was also there and doing some very interesting mathematical works using printers more often than images on a screen. And what they had was a microfilm printer. And so it could put images that would go normally on the screen onto 35 millimeter movie film. 
very important idea. So after a seri- this series of subroutines was created, he came up with this concept that was very simple. It was two different qualities of frame that could be created using what we would today consider to be pixels of, I believe, six different intensities. And this would allow you to make relatively rough images. I think it was 256 uh, was the width of each individual frame at a maximum. But this still allowed for excellent expression. And when you look at one of the most important films in the history of computer graphics, one that should 100% be on the National Film Registry, it's called A Computer Technique for the Production of Animated Films. That alone showed that Bflix was a major step forward. What's also incredible is that Bflix was retired very quickly. He only did a few films with it, and one that he did was for a high-level list processing language called L6. And it's a demonstration of how L6 works, and it's pretty simple. But it is massively important to how they would move forward in the idea of computer graphics. Knowlton worked, nowadays somewhat controversially, with Lillian Schwartz. And apparently there was an unhappiness with me being a very big proponent of Schwartz as an innovator in the computer graphics world. And he didn't quite like me, apparently. The idea here, though is very important. This was the application of computer graphics and computer animation in an artistic context, whereas Bflix had been used previously to do things like uh, the demonstration of how you would make animated movies using Bflix, or for L6, demonstrating how you make movies and use a project. Here, these were strictly artistic. And these are excellent films, up to four minutes long, some of them scored by very, very significant figures in the history of computer music. Can you guess who the first one was? If you said Max Matthews, you're right. <laughs> and in particular, that's why I believe Olympiad is a major, significant step forward in the history of computer animation. And there'd be arguments for years and years over who deserves any credit for the work done in the Knowlton schwartz collaboration. I think artistically, it is clear that Lillian Schwartz's impact on the project was massive when you compare to anything else Knowlton was doing. And he was doing other things, including working with Stan Vanderbeek, one of the most important figures in experimental film in the U.S. (coughs) And their poem fields were interesting, but they were not what Schwartz and Knowlton managed to do with Olympiad in particular, because it applies an idea that is known widely through the history of computer graphics. If you look at one of my personal favorite pieces, when uh, you see a figure running, it's made up of these sort of traces. And as it goes, the traces get more diffuse, diffuse until it's just a wireframe of a running figure. That idea has perpetrated on through, it even occurs in some of the work of Ed Emschwiller when he was working with computers. The idea of a purely artistic delivery of computer graphics. Ken Norton was there on the very early portions. And while poem field's important, I really think the works like Pixelation, UFOs, 
definitely Olympiad, definitely speak to the level of artistry that was being applied. But that might not have been the most important thing that he did. And we have to go back to Bell Labs and the office of a guy named Ed David. And he was a higher up a muckety-muck at, at Bell Labs. And Leon Harmon had come up with an idea, a prank really. And he enlisted the help of Knowlton. What they were going to do was one entire wall of Ed David's office was going to be covered with a huge picture that they were going to do made up of electronic symbols for transistors, resistors, uh, mathematical operations, and so forth. And it's very, very smart because what Knowlton and others admittedly, including type artists, typewriter artists of the 1920s, had already realized this, that each individual character has a light-dark value. So, for example, a symbol for a resistor is considerably darker than a symbol for, say, division. And when you're at a distance, all you are getting is that field's intensity of light. And when you can translate regular images into that, you can make something that up close is gobbledygook. But once you step back, forms a whole picture. We know this from the pointillists, of course, and various others. But here's the shocking thing. Their choice? A female nude, a woman reclining on a couch. Now, the 12-foot one was taken down pretty quickly at the labs, and uh, apparently Ed David put it in his basement rec room. But smaller versions were all over the place. And according to Knowlton's website, he has a whole page about this. A smaller version of the picture began to mysteriously propagate, and I had not the slightest idea how. The PR department scowled and warned that you may circulate this thing, but be sure that you do not associate the name of Bell Labs with it. Well, the big version did show up again, and that was in Robert Rauschenberg's loft on October 11th, 1967. And it actually ended up in the New York Times. And what's amazing is that this idea of a nude being used in the New York Times is gigantic. Uh, he quotes Billy, Billy Kluver, uh, claiming that this was the first time ever the Times printed a nude. Well, the PR department got together and they decided that it wasn't porn anymore. It was art. And they could distribute it anywhere they wanted, but they had to say they made it at Bell Labs. A lot of the people who were working with Knowlton over the years would go on to be huge, and I've mentioned most of them before, including Billy Kluver, Max Matthews, Lillian Schwartz, Andy Van Dam also, and Stan Vanderbeek. Vanderbeek in particular is a very, very significant figure, and someday I'll do more about his work. In many ways, Vanderbeek and Ed Emschwiller sort of bounce off one another. And what's interesting is that... Leon Harmon was really the artist in the pairing, while, of course, Knowlton was a technologist, which makes a lot of sense. Knowlton would go on to do a lot of digital mosaics of various types, and he did this thing which was sort of a puzzle where you could move faces in and out, and it became very different. It's a very, very—I don't quite understand how it works— but it does allude to this idea that you can make 
faces out of any element, which I know logically makes sense, but when you think about it and try to put that into action, it becomes much, much more difficult. Even today, I have trouble with it. Ken Knowlton passed away at the age of 91, leaving behind an influence that very, very few technologists can actually match. Next time we're back, we'll be talking about EAT, Experiments in Art and Technology, which will let me talk about my pal Robert Rauschenberg, Billy Kluver, and so many others. So stay tuned. <laughs>